Hi, this is Alan Chartok. Joining me today is Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, a Democrat now serving her third four-year term. Sheehan is a former city treasurer and is the city's first female mayor in its long history. Mayor Sheehan, we are so delighted and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, uh, you know, uh, I used to have a guy named Vinny in my class, and he would say, uh, we would have a lot of distinguished visitors, and he would say, "Uh, so what's it really like? (laughs) (laughs) So you're the mayor of Albany. What's it really like? You know, I I love being a public servant. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but, you know, it, it is a privilege to be able to serve, and you know, every day is different, and there are some challenges that are, you know, you know, really vexing, and and people, you know, have uh, very strong opinions about certain things. It's a but, hard job. <laughs> um, but you know, I think the thing I like about it is that I it is closest to the people. You know, you oh, you are you are really seeing and living with and in the same community as the people that you're serving. And so, um, you know, I had somebody leave a big sign in front of City Hall uh, a few weeks back, uh, and it said, "Kathy." Fill the damn potholes. And I I took the sign and I grabbed my chief of staff and I called the head of DGS and I said, tell me where one of the crews are that are out filling the potholes. And we filmed a video and I I said, you know, somebody left this sign for me um, in front of City Hall and I couldn't agree more. I drive on these streets, too. Um, And, you know, we had a horrible winter and our streets really got beat up. But you don't want me to fill the potholes. You want these guys to fill the potholes. Such an opportunity. Um, I have heard over the years as a political scientist scientist and reading that the hardest political job in America is to be the uh, president of the United States. And the second hardest is to be a mayor of a big city. (laughs) So you're a mayor because it just keeps happening. It, It keeps getting thrown at you. Well, and I think people want the mayor to fix everything. So I'll get calls from people who want me to fix the federal income tax <laughs> rates, you know. Um, you know, we get calls from all sorts of people. And, and you you know, people want the mayor to be able to, to fix things in the community. And I think it's really important as a mayor to ensure that we're engaging our residents because that's where we solve our challenges, right? Um, you know, we have to all work together. No one person can do it alone. There is this woman thing. You are a woman and you are the mayor. Um, and it's, um, you know, there's always sexism involved in virtually everything in the way people describe you and all the rest. What is What does it mean to you to be both a woman and a mayor? Well, I mean, for me, it's about doing the job. I mean, there's a job that needs to be done. And whether you're a man or a woman, you've got to do the job. And so I really focus on that. I want to be uh, I want to be judged based on uh, the the work that I'm doing, um, not just based on my gender. And I'm also really aware of the fact that, you know, in order, you know, you've got to see it to be it is, is what a lot of people say. And so uh, I do like when I go into the schools in particular and young girls will say, oh, what's it like to be mayor? Um, I am cognizant, uh, which I... I wasn't when I first became mayor, but I became cognizant of how important it is to make sure that I also represent that and lift up women leadership and lift up other women leaders um, and speak up when I think that people are not being treated fairly because of their gender, their race, their their sexual identity as well. So, Mayor Sheehan, what made you do it in the first place? <laughs> you know, I have always been um, 
a person who's really wanting to be part of and involved in the community. Uh, my parents were always actively involved in our community, and, and I don't mean necessarily politically, but just that, you know, if we if you want to live in a safe neighborhood, we all have to work together to make it safe. Um, if you want to solve the problem of an outdated sewer infrastructure, we have to be willing to come together and talk about what that means and what it's going to cost and how we're going to do it. Um, and so I've always been community focused and community involved. And I had a wonderful private sector career that I really enjoyed. What but, was that? Um, I worked for a medical device manufacturer that was based up in Latham. They're still up there. They make MRI magnets. Uh, and I worked for that company for about 11 years, became their vice president and general counsel, and uh, really enjoyed every every piece of that. Uh, but we were bought by a big Dutch conglomerate, and I said, this is way too bureaucratic, um, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. Mm. Uh, and so uh, when I left that job, a group of people came to me and they said, listen, you know, you have this skill set, you have this background, and we'd like you to run for treasurer of the city of Albany. We think that we really need somebody in there who is going to help to guide us into the future with a lot of financial challenges. And I thought, you know, I could continue to criticize and sort of take shots from the from the cheap seats, um, or I could actually run. And I ran and I won. And then when I was in that office, I realized that, you know, the real big decisions are made in the mayor's office. And so I started talking to people and building a coalition and ended up running for mayor. You know, I've been around for a while now. I'm getting to be a little older now. And and I remember Tom Whalen, the mayor of Albany, he used to come in unannounced at, to, to WAMC. And I'd be on the air raising money or something, and I'd feel these gigantic hands go around my neck from from, <laughs> from behind. He had a sense of humor. Do you? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think you have to have a sense of humor to have the, to, to have this job. And um, I, you know, I work with great people. Um, I like to encourage us to, you know, not take ourselves too seriously and to recognize that, you know, even in the most challenging times, and boy, have we had some really, really challenging times Indeed. these last two years. Uh, that we have to take some time and um, enjoy ourselves and and be able to to laugh a little. Tell me about your parents. So uh, my parents were both born outside of Chicago. Um, they uh, met on a blind date uh, and were married within six months. Wow. Um, my dad always said, I can't believe she said yes. Uh, but they were soulmates. And there are six kids in my family. My mom had uh, twins and then me and then my sister all in the matter of about three and a half years uh, and then two more after that so uh, we moved around my dad worked for a big insurance company and was transferred a few times so we were a very tight-knit family every time we moved it was at the beginning of the summer so we really only had each other to hang out with until we started school and made friends so uh, my, my parents really nurtured us to be who we are um, that you know we should pursue our desires. Uh, we should pursue what we want for ourselves. And they always stress the importance of getting an education. That was a non-starter. You know, we were going to go to college. We had, we started saving money from the and time we were go? really young. I went to Bowling Green State University mm -hmm. in Ohio. We lived in Ohio when I was in high school and college. And I had to pay my own tuition and work myself through, uh, through wow. college. So I uh, went to a state school and really enjoyed it. And I ended up moving out here for a job out of college and then uh, had met my husband and 
decided to go to law school and I've been here my entire adult life. But mm-hmm. my parents were really, they instilled the importance of hard work. Um, you know, you work hard and, you know, you, you get a good education and you give back to the community. And those were the three things that they really instilled in me. So what's the most frustrating thing about being mayor? <laughs> you know, I think it is that um, the, uh, the level of expectation that people have for what you can control and what you actually control sure. <laughs> are two different things, right? Um, you know, we have a real challenge right now, and cities across the country have a real challenge right now with an increase in homeless populations and an increase in people with serious mental illness uh, who are not getting the services that they need. And those are two areas that a mayor doesn't have very much control over at all. Our homeless uh, aid comes through the county, um, and so the county is the social service provider, and they are the mental health provider. Um, And so we work really closely with them, and I have a great relationship with the county, and I think they're doing as good a job as they can with the resources that they have, and there is still more that needs to be done. But I think it's that, you know, when you have that friction between what you really can control and what people want you to be able to solve for them. Mm. Well, that's really amazing. Uh, So this business of intergovernmental, you just mentioned the county. Um, I'm thinking back to my one-time friend, um, Andrew Cuomo, and, uh, you know, he's a governor. And the city, which is the capital city, really depends on the governor coming through and the legislature coming through. Have they? Well, uh, this our current governor has uh, the city had has been under my leadership uh, making the case for uh, what we call um, our fair share capital city funding because we have so much property that's not taxable in the city. Sure. And uh, most of that property is owned by the state. And what they pay us in their pilot payments, which are payment in lieu of taxes, is, is just a small, 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 tiny, tiny fraction of the value of all the property that they own. So we've been successful um, in getting our capital city funding, um, even under the prior governor, but we always had to fight for it. Um, Governor Hochul put it in her budget. So it was in the governor's budget, and it stayed in both House budgets, um, at the Senate and the Assembly. And so it was much easier sailing, much less stress and, uh, you know, worrying for us, our workforce, and our residents. Uh, and it is, I think, a recognition of the fact that we have been very good steward of stewards of taxpayer dollars. We've kept our costs under control. We've done everything that we said we would do um, or and that I said I would do when I became uh, mayor at, with respect to fiscal responsibility. And... Um, we need to ensure that the state is paying its fair share. So tell me, you know, how did you get along with Andrew personally? <laughs> you know, I had very little interaction um, with the governor. And, uh, you know, in um, in running the capital city, uh, I would spend, you know, time with the legislature, getting to know um, our legislators, because I think it is important, particularly given how much influence is downstate, for them to really get an understanding of what the city of Albany is all about. And I, when I became mayor, I had legislators who said, well, you know, you don't need any more money from the state. You have that big mall. And I would say, well, actually, Crossgates yeah. Mall is in Gilderland. Um, or, you know, they would talk about the restaurants on Wolf Road. And, you know, so even just getting them to understand that from a tax base standpoint, it's a little 
more challenging than that. And building those relationships um, was really important and really helped. And so I think, um, you know, I, on a sort of day-to-day interaction uh, level, a lot more interaction with the Senate and the Assembly. Um, you know, the governor was, as you know, he traveled all over and, um, you know, I had very little personal contact with him. Well, that's interesting. Um, so tell me, Mayor Sheehan, what is it about living in the place where you work? Is You know, you go out and you say something like, I'm seeing some, but I I don't like it. Um, what do you do about that? <laughs> well, it's funny. Every once in a while, I'll be driving around and I'll be like, who is the mayor? She should really do something about this. Um, but it is, you know, it is, I, I think for me, uh, uh, I get a lot of satisfaction out of being able to see a problem and then work with the resources that we have and the leadership team that I have to try to address it, uh, whether it's the condition of a park um, or, you know, a challenge that we're having with traffic safety uh, and, you know, being able to, to plan through, you know, it's, it's not always like flipping a switch. Um, you know, it's it, there are very few problems that can be solved overnight, especially, you know, vexing problems. But uh, being able to say, hey, I can do something about this, um, it, it's um, one of the things that I like about the job. You know, I mean, I knew Tom Whalen, Jerry Jennings, I know you now. You're very different from them, uh, not only in terms of gender, but you have a different approach uh, to problem solving. They were sort of good old boys. You are not that. You are somebody who just continues to try to do what's right. Do people want or hold you responsible to history, if you understand the question? Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I think that there are some who want there to just be, you know, uh, someone who sits in the mayor's office and does what they ask them to do and gets it done for them. Um, I I have a, a very collaborative approach. I think it is really important to uh, listen to people, to not presume that I have all the answers. Um, and sometimes that takes time. And I, I look at the process that we're using right now, uh, with respect to our rescue plan funding. Um, you know, I could have sat in my office and said, you know, I'm going to give these people who, you know, I have relationships with this money and that's how it's going to be. Um, but I I think ultimately that our residents deserve more than that. And I don't necessarily have all those answers. So I asked about 40 people to come together, help me to understand what the challenges are in every sector within our city, and then come up with a process for us to be able to uh, get this funding out into the community in a really dynamic and transformative way. That's just my style. We're talking to Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, a Democrat now serving her third four-year term. How long are you going to do it? <laughs> this is it. Uh, I had said I was only going to serve two terms, and then COVID happened. And there were a lot of challenges associated with getting through the pandemic, working with people to make sure they had the information that they needed, the challenges that we had with respect to our city finances associated with that. And I really felt that having the benefit of experience was something that the city needed and decided to run for a third term. But I think that it's important to bring in fresh uh uh, outlooks and and fresh perspectives uh, in in public office, and I I think that um, you know looking back, 
Uh, I don't regret that I ran for a third term. Uh, I, I think it was important, and I think that um, my experience is going to benefit us if, as we get through and, and start this recovery. But I also think that there should be new leadership that is um, that is a- allowed to come up and um, and and take on the the helm and and be the next leader. So, what's next for you? Uh, you know, when you I'm run for Congress, are you? <laughs> you know, people always ask that. Uh, you know, I didn't start out my life in politics. I don't know that I'll end my life in politics. I think I'll always be involved. I'll always care about the community, but it doesn't necessarily have to be an elected office. Let's talk a little bit about the Hudson River. Albany has a Hudson River. I've been around for a long time. I used to work out at something called the Steuben Club. And every day we try to go down to the river um, and walk along the river, a group of us. Um, it was always chancy because, you know, there is crime. There's no question about it. You worry. Um, but we did it. And I'm, I'm wondering, access to the Hudson becomes very important. You got a plan? Well, we just opened the Skyway on Friday. So we took uh, the old Quay Street exit ramp from Quay Street onto Clinton Avenue, and uh, that is now a, a, a park. Um, and you can walk across it. So you can do a loop. You can go uh, get on at Clinton right near the old English pub, mm-hmm. um, go over to the Hudson River and loop around, and you can get right on the rail trail, or you can come back over on the bridge that was built when um, Jerry Jennings was the mayor. So, uh, you know, it's another connection to the river, and it's, you know, really a- an opportunity for us to, again, reimagine a... a, a um, a smaller 787, we hope someday. Um, and for those who are listening, <laughs> 787 goes is the road that goes down by the river, and there are some people who would like to get rid of it. That's right. That's right. Um, and our assembly member Pat Fahey was successful in getting five million dollars to mm-hmm. s- to study reimagining the waterfront. Doesn't necessarily mean tearing down 787 immediately, but. Uh, how do we reimagine the waterfront? And, you know, Alan, I think one of the things that we have to really talk about as we reimagine the waterfront is the impact of climate change. The Hudson River is going to rise. Um, you know, the Corning Preserve is in a floodplain. And so, you know, for those who think, oh, we could build condos and development there, uh, we really have to think about w- where is the Hudson River going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Mm. And what are some things that we could be investing in to mitigate flooding, to mitigate the challenges that might be caused by that? I think it's a real exciting opportunity. So part of your very difficult job is how to use your police department. Uh, obviously, um, crime is an issue in every city in America. Uh, and uh, you've been right out front. How do you do it? Well, listen, we have a department that has really focused on getting guns off the street. We saw a huge increase in crimes using guns, and it is really alarming to see how many illegal guns we are finding on our streets. And it's not just the streets of Albany. Um, You know, I have these conversations with the mayors of Troy and Schenectady and mayors across the country. Um, The influx of illegal guns is, is really having a devastating impact on our communities. So how do you do it? So we have really good detectives who work really hard to ensure that um, they are under trying to understand who has the guns, where they're getting the guns. We also have residents who are calling us who are saying, listen, I know that XYZ has a gun. They've got it in their apartment. They've got it in their car. Uh, you know, 
it, it is it is very, very challenging times. You know, we have seen so far this year a very significant decrease in the number of um, gun crimes in the city of Albany. Um, we're bucking a trend. And uh, that takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of hard what work. What kind of work? It, it takes great detective work. It takes um, it takes the community working with the police, though. I mean, that is key. Building trust within the community um, and ensuring that we're doing all that we can to support those who are willing to come forward and say, I don't want this in my neighborhood. There, In every big city, there is a tension that exists between those people of color and those people who are not. Are you aware of that, and how do you handle it? Well, I think that our police department has done uh, a very good job of listening to people in the community and working in partnership with people in the community to uh, focus on how we build that trust. Uh, how do we build those relationships? Uh, and and how do we make sure that we are then um, communicating back to the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, we... we we thought this was a great idea and and we've done it and these are the results that we're seeing. So I I think that that communication piece is really, really important. I think the other piece of this is the focus on workforce development. We have been very focused on connecting people, not just with jobs, but with careers. And when I look at the success that we have had with programs like My Brothers and Sisters Keepers, um, there's a program that we received funding for. We were one of only about six cities in the country um, called Compass Rose, focusing on justice-involved young people and young adults and helping them to recognize what a career path really could look like, getting people certifications, whether it's a CDL license, a nursing license, connecting people to opportunities that allow them to not only get in at the ground level, but then to, to grow and to be able to earn um, a living that will support their family. We have a great program that's happening in the South End right now called the MAP program, and it is a pre-apprenticeship program for the construction trades. It's supported by our labor unions. They bring people in. You get a smattering of all of the trades. You learn a little bit of plumbing, a little bit of elect- being electrician, um, sheetrocking, carpentry. And then at the end of that program, you pick your trade and the unions bring you into their apprenticeship program. Wow. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. So what about marijuana? I know I live in Great Barrington, which I believe is Massachusetts, which I believe is the marijuana capital of the world. And a lot of people from New York and Connecticut have come for years uh, now. Allegedly, it's going to be legal in uh, New York State. Uh, How are you going to handle this? Well, we are working alongside our, our community right now to anticipate what the final rules of the road are going to be. Those haven't been released yet, but we have an internal group that's been working on this with everything from uh, our codes department to our planning department, uh, our our treasury, our uh, budget office to to make sure that we have uh, understanding of what the lay of the land currently is. And we are in the process now of soliciting uh, participants who want to be part of a broader advisory group uh, that will meet 
with the city going forward as we think about changes to our zoning code, for example, for where a dispensary could be located, uh, where a consumption site could be located. And we are, again, it's, you know, to me, really important that we listen to the community and that we do this with the community as opposed to to the community. So what's the community telling you? It's interesting. You know, there are some neighborhoods that are saying we don't want any dispensaries in our neighborhood. There are others who are open to it. There is a lot of interest in ensuring that people who were formerly justice involved are able to participate in the market. And all of that. Oh, sorry, let me stop you there. Formerly justice involved, meaning that they were involved in the trade. Correct. Correct. Okay. So people who may have been arrested for um, selling marijuana, uh, being in possession of marijuana, uh, having an opportunity to get into the business. You know, I, I think about um, what happened after Prohibition. Right. And, uh, you know, there were certain states that when Prohibition was repealed, they went out to all the speakeasies. And they said, here, file for a license and you can reopen uh, and, and, and get legit. Uh, we know you've been operating, uh, so let's, let's get you legit. And, uh, you know, that was an approach that worked in a lot of places. So Now with you? Well, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. We're not going to have control over who gets those licenses. The sure. city doesn't determine that. Um, that will be determined by the state. But again, we want to make sure we have plenty of voices at the table so that we can be smarter about the decision making that we do on on the city's part with respect to zoning and with, with respect to our local ordinances. We are talking with Mayor Kathy Sheehan, former city treasurer and now the city's first female mayor in its long history. Mayor Sheehan, Kathy Sheehan, why did it take so long for you to become the first female mayor? I mean, in other words, how come we haven't had one before? Well, I mean, you think about it, Alan, I'm only the fourth mayor in about 80 years. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they we used to stay a long time. They, they used to stay a long time. Um, but I do think that it was interesting that, you know, New York's first female mayor of one of the big five cities outside of New York City was Stephanie Miner um, four years before me in in Syracuse. So it has taken a long time. Uh, and, you know, it is uh, uh, an executive position. And I think that it is really heartening to see a lot more women getting elected as mayor. Uh, but it's also been a challenging time for women mayors across the country. I'm uh, a member of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and mm -hmm. I am the um, uh, deputy chair of the Women's Mayors uh, Leadership Initiative. And, you know, we we try to do all that we can to support women mayors and to be there for them and to to ensure that we are following up on and providing support for some of the unique challenges that women mayors have faced. Uh, I can't help asking you because as we speak today and uh, the Supreme Court of the United States is under great fire uh, for a leaked uh, opinion. Um, and I wondered if you talk to us a little bit about that. Well, look, I think we here in New York State have, um, you know, made our voices heard and, you know, we have very strong um, uh safeguards in place to protect a woman's right to choose. An uh, abortion, yeah. And so, um, you know, from a, a, a direct impact on, you know, our city residents and, and, and people here in the city of Albany, um, you know, there would be, they will still have access, um, you know, for uh, women across the rest of the country. I, I think that this is, um, to me, a, an, an assault on our bodies. Um, you know, I think women 
need to be able to make their own health care decisions. Um, and uh, there are states across the country that are limiting those health care decisions as we speak. I don't want to get personal, but let me ask you this. Uh, Sheehan, uh, were you, were you, Kathy Sheehan, were you brought up in the church? I was. And how do you feel about this abortion thing? Well, look, I think that we live in a country where we have religious freedom, where we have freedom of choice, and where women have to make oftentimes very difficult decisions about their health care and about their lives going forward. And I believe that we have to address those decisions with compassion uh, and that we should not allow one religious faith or one religious belief to dictate the future of women's lives in this country. Do you get any pushback from your church on this? Absolutely. Yeah. How do you handle it? You know, I do the best that I can. You know, we are we are all flawed human beings. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I believe that as the as an elected official, it's really important to remember that we live in a country that was founded on the freedom of people to be able to live and practice whatever beliefs they have, and that we have to be mindful of the fact that we're not just leading people of like mind to us. We are leading all of the people. You have a major uh, hospital system here, which is Catholic, uh, which, which was founded that way. And then you, of course, have um, the Albany Medical College and, and its ancillary. So um, the question I have for you is, how do you handle that? In other words, do you, do you steer people one way or the other? Well, look, certainly not. You know, I, it's very rare that, uh, you know, at the city level, at a mayor level, that we're involved in, in health care decisions. Again, that's um, something that the Albany County Health Department does. But I certainly believe that it is important for people to have access to the health care that they want and they need. And I believe that we are fortunate um, to at least have a number of options here in the capital region. Let's talk about the press. <laughs> Do you like the press? Are they a pain in the neck? You know, I it's it's not like or don't like. I think that it is important for us to have a free and open media. I think it is really important um, for journalists to uh, to have the ability to report um, and and tell the, the the story stories that people need to hear. Um, you know, I think that the press has been under assault much the same way as elected officials have been and, and, and many others. And, um, you know, I but I we get along, you know, I get along fine with the press. You know, I, OK, let's yeah. assume. Let me stop, oh, stop you there and say, let's assume you see an article in the paper you don't like. What do you do about it? Yeah, I just do you tell them. I, I tell my staff that I don't like the story, <laughs> but you, I don't tell them. You don't tell them. No, I mean, look, I I don't have an expectation that um, I'm going to agree with the point of view of every reporter. Um, you know, there are some stories that people pursue that I think are, you know, um, important, and and there are others that I'm going to disagree with. But um, it's not for me to to dictate that. I think if some if somebody gets something wrong, you know, yeah. if it's just factually incorrect. Um, Has that happened I, to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you but, pick up the phone? Yeah, yeah. If, if something is factually incorrect, I think it is important to, to set the record straight. Mm -hmm. So let me go back to the police issue and the, the idea that the police have sometimes been criticized for being too rough. How do you monitor that as the mayor? 
You know, I think it's really important to make sure that we understand what we're training our officers to do and what the job of being a police officer is. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about mission creep, uh, all you have to do is look at any police department. You know, police departments have been expected to help solve the homeless crisis, help deal with the mental health crisis that we're experiencing in this country, help deal with people who have addiction issues, um, and, and, and help with, you know, disputes that might ri- arise uh, within a family and, and be counselors. <laughs> so, so there has been tremendous mission creep that has resulted from the lack of investment in education, health care, um, and mental health care and social services in this country. You know, when people talk about failures, we, we often don't talk about the fact that uh, the failures that have occurred in those other systems lead to many of the challenges that are then laid at the feet of our police, and we tell them to solve it. And we have to stop doing that. We have to recognize that we need our police officers. We absolutely need police officers. Um, and we need to, and what we've really done with our policing reform collaborative is we've also got to look at the other uh, systems that we need to be more involved in the day-to-day lives of our residents so that it's not a police officer necessarily knocking on the door. Mayor Kathy Sheehan, one of those institutions, of course, are our schools. Uh, are you satisfied with the way the schools in Albany are doing their business? Well, look, I think that the school district has had a lot of challenges with COVID, just as every other institution has had challenges during these last two years. I think that we need to be doing more to ensure that all of our children are uh, at grade level. We have a long way to go there, um, and we want to continue to be supportive. You know, I think it's it's it doesn't help, uh, I think, for, uh, you know, people in office to sort of take shots like, go look over there. You know, that's where the problem is. So one of the things that I did when I became mayor was say, you know, we have a real problem with our graduation rates in in the city. What can the city do, right, to to work alongside the school district? And so we reimagined our summer youth employment program. We went from working five days a week to working four days a week. And on the fifth day, we do enrichment with young people. And we help them to think about their personal finances, think about a career path, think about uh, secondary education, going to college, getting a certification. Um, we, we want them to really be more invested and understand that the impact of the choices that they make today on their future state. And we started that program. We, we brought in an orientation. Um, there is a lot more focus on what a work experience might look like, because it might be that we're, we're paying kids to learn. I'm okay with that. Um, I want them invested in themselves. And if they re- are invested in themselves, they'll be invested in their education and stay in school. And then we asked you, Albany, to study our program and tell us whether we were having the outcomes that we wanted. And what, they, what they found that a child who participates in our summer youth employment program is 60% more likely to graduate from high school. Mm. And Alan, where we have the biggest impact is on the kids who are in the lowest 40th percentile of their class. So we are having our impact where we want to have it, mainly among um, young black men, young black boys who are participating in this program and, and starting to be able to connect the dots between what's happening in the classroom 
and what that future might look like for them in the work world. And so we continue to lean in on this program and continue to work to improve it. But I feel as though that's how, uh, you know, as, as a mayor, I don't control the schools, so I'm, I'm not going to opine on that. But that's how we can work alongside the school district to try to have an impact. Are you grooming anybody to be mayor after you? I'm not a kingmaker, but I, I think there are a, a number of talented people out there who really care about the community. And, um, you know, I'm watching. I'm seeing, you know, people who are getting involved, becoming more involved. And uh, I, I I love being mayor. It's it's challenging. <laughs> it is um, uh, it. it it is not for the faint of heart, uh, but it's also extremely gratifying. On a scale of one to ten, in terms of your internal toughness, <laughs> what would you consider yourself? Um, you know, I think I'm pretty internally tough. I, I you know, I, I know that I'm going to be criticized. I know that I can't please everyone. Uh, you know, I, I don't relish it. I, f- you know, I feel badly when people are let down or when they're disappointed. Um, I think the hardest thing about this job are the personal tragedies that, that mm, happen in sure. people's lives, whether it's standing on a sidewalk watching, you know, a house burn and, and knowing that somebody's all of their possessions are in there um, to going to the funeral for a homicide victim. Um, you know, I, I feel those things very deeply. And I also know that I'm expected to lead us through them and, and be strong. You moved downtown. Uh, as mayor. How come? I I love it downtown. Um, You know, my husband and I were becoming empty nesters. We had um, a great house. We loved our neighborhood, but it was... Where was it? Uh, It was out off of New Scotland Avenue, not far from St. Peter's Hospital. Gotcha. Um, But uh, it was a lot to maintain, and, you know, we love to walk. We're very active, and uh, my husband really has always loved the Tenbrook Triangle area. So, you know, we would look anytime something came on the market. And um, sure enough, this uh, house that uh, we thought would stand, but <laughs> turned out to be a much bigger project than we thought, um, came on the market and uh, we bought it and renovated it. We saved it. It would have it would have collapsed. Um, we we um, were able to, to reconstruct it and... Uh, we live downtown, and I love it. What's harder, being mayor or reconstructing a house? Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't ever want to have to do that again, but it was a, a real labor of love, and, um, you know, it's we have uh, very appreciative neighbors. Uh, I think people didn't realize, you know, these old houses, they can deteriorate so quickly when water gets sure. uh, where it's not supposed to be. And, uh, you know, that's the challenge that we have when people look at at vacant buildings in the city and they say, why is that building vacant? I now know. I understand. You know, it's not just 50000 or $100,000 to get that building habitable. Sometimes it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, um, it, you know, it's it's a real challenge. Kathy Sheehan, what, I know that it's the words of the of the century, but how, what are you going to do in Albany to reverse climate change? Well, we are doing our part to, uh, you know, get to um, carbon neutral. We have a great energy manager who is doing an outstanding job. Um, and we are uh, we have a sustainability committee that advises me and advises the city on efforts that we can be undertaking. I actually was uh, standing in the pouring rain at the um, compost facility in Bethlehem right. uh, with the Bethlehem Town Supervisor and, and uh, some of the team out there to understand what they're doing. 
um, and some things that we can do together. So it's going to take all of us working together. It's going to take um, a tremendous amount of work on our part. We're already building out our uh, infrastructure for electric vehicles, on-street charging stations, charging stations in our garages. One of the other things that we're doing is with every uh, RFP that we put out, if we're going to be uh, doing a major renovation of a building, how do we make it carbon neutral? Um, those these are all the things that we have to be doing together to to focus on uh, reducing our impact. And how are you electrifying our, our fleet? So we are... Uh, electrifying the cars that we can, the vehicles that we can, um, yeah, sure. you know, within our, with our within our fleet. And we're also really looking at some of these bigger vehicles, um, f- whether it be uh, garbage trucks, street sweepers. Um, and as we purchase more, we're, we're electrifying that fleet as well. Well, what's the biggest disappointment you're having as mayor? Hmm, biggest disappointment. Um I don't know. I mean, that's uh, I've I haven't thought about it from that perspective. I, you know, I you don't think, wake up in the middle of the night and say, "I wish." Dot, well, dot, dot. you know, I I wish we had more people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very challenging right now to find employees, um, and so you know, there's always are they getting robbed by other places? I mean, one of yeah. the things that really ticks me off is. Uh, is that, uh, you know, every once in a while, an agency of state government will come along <laughs> and offer our people more money uh, in order to go. Yeah, um, yeah. And I say, that's not fair. Well, that happens. That happens. But I think that, you know, it's it's the resource constraints, um, you know, and, and I realize that there's just, you know, there is no shortage of great ideas, um, but there is uh, a limit on our capacity to be able to implement projects. And so for me, it's it's having my patients match the reality of the world in which we live, whether that's our current supply chain issues with uh, getting things built and having somebody say, well, sorry, Mayor, there's a big project that was supposed to happen this spring. And all of the bids came in at more than double what the funding was that was set aside for it. So we've had to put the pause button on it and, you know, we're going to go back to the well and, and figure it out. But that means it's going to be delayed by another year. That is frustrating for me. I hear you. Um, okay, here's a tough question for me to ask because two people I like very much, you and David Soares. Um, and the perception sometimes has been that the two of you, the district attorney, and you don't always get along. Is that incorrect? I, I don't know about get along. I, you know, I think that we... Um, we don't necessarily always have the same views on things, and I think that that's okay, right? I mm-hmm, think sure. that we have to challenge one another. So, you know, the the district attorney oversees a criminal, a very important part of the criminal justice system that is really challenging, right? And, and I get it. Um, and I, as mayor, am the mayor of a city where we have a large portion of our population who believes that they haven't necessarily been treated fairly by that system. And so that's a natural tension. It should happen. Um, how do we how do we challenge one another so that we can move that forward um, for all of us and still keep people safe? And I think that's where um, that's, you know, where we get real innovation. And I think that's where we get the type of change that moves us forward. Mayor Sheehan, is there a way uh, that you can make things better in terms of, you know, interdepartmental uh, relationships? Well, I 
try to work with people from across government and across, um, you know, the community. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I try to talk less. I mean, I'm talking a lot with you, but no, and uh, I very I, much <laughs> appreciate that. I want you to know that I try to talk less and listen more. Um, I don't assume that I know everything, especially when there's another entire system involved. Uh, and so, you know, again, I think the challenge that we're seeing around the mental health crisis in our community, the substance use and abuse crisis in our community, um, and and the lack of access to mental health care is something that we have to be in partnership with those subject matter experts, those who have experience, to be able to then talk about what resources we need to bring to bear in order to address those issues. I'm really glad you brought that up because I am an NIMH fellow. Uh, they paid for my doctorate, um, and public policy and mental health becomes extremely important. And so you're saying that you see this as, a, as an area that we really need to work on. We absolutely need to work on it. You know, we have residents who say we want for— uh, we don't want the police to show up when somebody's having a mental health crisis. We want a mental health professional to show up. Um, and I think that sounds like a great idea. But who is that mental health worker? How are they trained? Do they exist? What do we need to do to keep them safe? So it's not as though, again, you can just say it and it will be. And I think that's what's frustrating for people. We, we say it. And it's probably, you know, a minimum of a two to three year pilot program just to understand what skill sets you need. What are the what are the barriers to being able to then get that person from that crisis and into treatment? You know, the most frustrating thing that we could do is put people out on the street um, as caseworkers and and all they're doing is referring somebody to a wait list. Sure. Because we don't have the system in place to be able to provide the help that people need. We have a real challenge. Our mental health system is broken. And it's broken because we don't have the right people in the right places um, with the right training to address the huge need that we're seeing out there. And I don't mean that as a, a condemnation. It's not. It, 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 it is it, people who are working in, in these systems want them to work. And they haven't been given the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I hate more than walking down the street and having a dirt bike oh. uh, <laughs> coming at me. So how do you uh, how do you cut down? I, I don't envy you this um, on dirt bikes and ATVs on the city streets. You know, imagine if people were just considerate. Yeah, sure. You know, imagine if we could reintroduce human decency. Um, into the the culture um, that uh, of our community, I I look at these dirt bikes and what they're doing, and I think how how can you, in good conscience, do what you're doing? Is it that much fun? Do you enjoy, uh, you know, waking up babies, scaring elderly people, uh, and and wreaking havoc on the community? Is that how you have fun? And and I, I, I do. I, I, I shrug my shoulders. If I had the answer, Alan, you know, we do it. But this is just a complete breakdown in in common human decency. How do you stop it? It's very hard. You know, we um, 
we we say that we don't chase them. That doesn't mean we don't try to stop them. You know, people were all up in arms when a police vehicle was actually trying to stop a, a young boy who was on a dirt bike on a sidewalk, and he became surrounded by other dirt bikers, one of whom stopped short in front of the police vehicle, so the police vehicle hit it. Um, you know, th- these are people engaging in dangerous, dangerous activity, um, and somebody's going to get killed. It, it, it's just, it's, it's so frustrating to see, and it's just a complete lack of, of consideration uh, for fellow human beings. I, you know, I live in, in Arbor Hill where they, you know, they fly down Lark and they fly up Tenbrook and then they fly up Clinton Avenue. And, you know, I sit out on my deck and I'll hold my phone out to the police chief every once in a while. I'll call him and I'll say, here they are again. Um, But, you know, ultimately we need for people to be kinder. It's just, but it's, it's a very challenging thing. We will, uh, just so you know what we're doing, we will confiscate bikes when we get them. Um, it's three thousand dollars to get it back. What's against the law? Just so I understand, because I remember yep. walking down the, the street one day and having a guy come come at me or very close, um, and I clenched my fist yeah. in rage. Um, <laughs> and then I was told it's perfectly legal. Is no, it, no, no. It is a hundred percent against the law. To do what? To ride these motorized dirt bikes, oh, ATVs. They are illegal on city streets and sidewalks. Amazing. Period. Full stop. Wow. Yeah. Well, that must be a, a, a very difficult um, thing. But, of course, crime in Albany and every other big city is the number one issue. And Albany has had its own persistent problems with gun violence. And you've talked about getting guns off the street. What do we do about that? Well, you know, I talked a little bit about the supply side, right, getting guns off the street. We need national, federal, common sense gun laws. And nobody in this country wants to talk about it. Well, at least people, how come? Um, you know, the, this uh, this focus on Second Amendment rights my and you're trying to take my guns. Yeah. I'm talking about illegal guns. I'm talking about common sense gun registration. I'm talking about, uh, you know, red flag laws where if somebody has threatened to kill their wife, um, we can take their gun. Uh we need to have this on a national level because guns are coming into our community from places where it's very easy to get them. And and the current gun laws that we have, which are very common sense in New York State, are under assault. You know, there is a lawsuit right now uh, that is we're waiting on a decision that would that would say that it's unconstitutional to require a permit to conceal carry a weapon. Um so, yeah, we have to deal with this proliferation of guns. People behave differently when they have a gun. Um, we know this. It, it, it is uh, it, it's demonstrated. When you, when you have a gun, you engage in far high, more high-risk behavior. We see a huge increase in uh, gun fatalities related to road rage. Um, and many of the gun, uh, the, much of the gun violence that we see in the city of Albany is simply people who are arguing over nothing. Um, you know, sure. we've had we've parking had homicides, uh, a parking space. You took a selfie with my girlfriend. Uh, you know, you uh, y- you know, you disrespected my, you know, my little brother. Um, you know, th- these are the things that are escalating um, when people have guns um, to to horrific, devastating, you know, life altering 
choices that people are making. But we also then have to work on the demand side. And that's our workforce development. That is focusing on the fact that we have uh, a, 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 a large number of jobs that are available um, here at this point in time. And I, and I think that's one of the things that I'm really hopeful about. You know, we are going to be the site of the very first um, U.S. built uh, tur wind turbine tower, um, offshore wind turbine tower facility here in the city of Albany. We want to make sure that our workforce is ready for those jobs. We're seeing investment in nano. We're seeing investment in chip fabs. We're seeing investments in biotech. You know, these are all jobs that are attainable by our residents, and we need to ensure that we're communicating that to the community so that we can be prepared. Kathy Sheehan, do you own a gun? I do not. Uh, have you ever considered getting one? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not an anti-gun person, though. You no, know, my father would go hunting. I, I, you know, I have no problem with legal gun ownership. Um, what we are seeing on our streets is is a proliferation of illegal guns. We have a proliferation of ghost guns. Uh, we need to do what a we ghost can. Ghost gun being defined as uh, parts that get put together. Get put together. It's not traceable. Um, so we we are seeing the consequence of the proliferation of guns, period, full stop. It's what we're seeing it in mass shootings. We're seeing it in the increase in gun violence in cities across the country. Um, and until we're ready to have the conversation about it, I want to listen to those who are opposed to restrictions on Do you on talk guns. to Paul Tonko and others about this? Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, we're fortunate in that we have um, representation in Washington who want to see this uh, these issues addressed. Uh, but there is not a willingness and, and in fact, when we raise issues like this, um, those of us who are saying, hey, you know, we need some help here, um, you know, we are attacked by the right. So we've heard, and we only have a minute or so to go here, but we have heard that, uh, you know, this is your last term as mayor. Um, so the, the next question is, what's next? Would you like to run for governor? <laughs> I am very excited about uh, Kathy Hochul running for governor, and I look forward to uh, electing her as our first elected woman governor. I think she's doing an outstanding job. And as I said, I, I don't know what is in my future. I'm going to work really hard for the next three and a half years well, for the residents of Albany. You can tell but, me. But uh, after that, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. I've heard across the table many times uh, from people, there's not a glimmer in your mind about what you'd like to do? You, you know, I'm. I've always sort of been a person who believes that if you uh, work really hard at what you're doing, that the next step will reveal itself to you. So nope. it hasn't revealed itself to me yet. I've got a lot of work to do for the next three and a half years. But I'll tell you what, Alan, if I decide to run for something, I will let you know. Let I'll let know. you be the first to know. How about that? Great. Our guest has been Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, a Democrat now serving her third four-year term. Kathy Sheehan, I very much admire you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Alan Shartok, President and CEO of WAMC Northeast Public Radio and Professor Emeritus at the University at Albany. For more information on WAMC's In Conversation with Alan series or to order a physical copy, call 1-800-323-9262 or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or on the Google Play Store.